0: Hi, I'm John Chambers, partner in corporate innovation at IE and host of The Corporate Innovator, a podcast that gives you direct access to visionary corporate leaders, makers and advisors to level up your innovation game. The Corporate Innovator is produced by IE, Australia's largest independent innovation company. We work with corporate partners to develop, design and deliver transformative ideas to market. Learn more at ie.com.au. Natalie Peters wasn't the obvious choice to implement perhaps the largest cultural change Telstra has attempted in the last decade, but she did so with such skill that it's now recognized as one of the most successful scaled agile transformations in Australia, if not the world. An HR specialist by trade, Nat stepped up to the challenge over two years ago, learning valuable lessons she would take to her current role as HR director at Sky in the UK. In this episode, we'll discuss how she embedded an agile mindset identified and overcame company-wide impediments, operated at speed, and revolutionized business units to unite as cross-functional teams that would drive unprecedented agility at Telstra. Over to Nat. So welcome to the Corporate Innovator, and we're here today with the wonderful Nat Peters, who has fresh from leading the massive Agile transformation at Telstra, which is one of the, the leading transformations that we all know about in the market. So we're really excited to have you with us here today, Nat. Thanks John, it's great <laughs> to be here. And we're really interested to start really pressing into what is it that helps a company on this huge shift that you make towards Agile and how you make those kind of decisions. But before we get into that, love to hear a little bit more about you. Tell us a little bit about your career and what do you think those experiences were that really positioned you to be able to lead this kind of transformation?
1: Well, that's a great question, to start. <laughs> I think that I'm probably the least traditional person that you'd expect to run an agile transformation at a place like Telstra. So, my career has spanned about 20 years, but always in HR roles. So, I've worked in a number of different industries and countries and I was always a disruptive HR person. I was not ever thinking about HR in a traditional way. So I was always thinking about how to disrupt it and how to do the practice of human and human behaviour and human resources in a different way in organisations. And I think it was pretty bold of Telstra to pick me to actually help lead this part of the transformation that we were doing in the organisation because it probably speaks to we saw this as a huge opportunity to change the culture of our organisation. But doing a culture change program is very hard Mm. without some practical method behind it. So it was a bold move for them to put me in that job, but I'm probably not the likely candidate for the role (laughs) either.
0: When we worked together, you were passionate about human-centred design. Some of these Mm. tools that roll up into what drives a transformation were things that you'd been learning practicing along the way? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: So we'd been playing around with different agile methods as well. So we looked at a big organization change as part of retail about three and a half years ago, and we actually did it in an agile way. And that was our first taste of that. We set up customer-centered design and human-centered design practices within Telstra. So I'd always been around these methods. spent 10 years at GE. So all of that had been part of how I'd worked, but it hadn't really been anything that I'd led as far as a transformation and organisation before,
0: yeah. (laughs) And what was amazing to watch was you um, were able to take what was an idea and turn it into this incredible company-wide shift and it just sort of started to snowball from what I could see over time. Mm. How did it start? I'd love to know, how did it start, where did it begin and how did that snowball start to build?
1: Yeah, so I think this is a great question, right, because I can imagine a number of people in jobs like this in companies think, where do you start? Or they've already started somewhere and questioning if that was right. That certainly was my experience. And if you're an organisation, you think, how do you you know, eat this whole elephant? And I think where we started was, we certainly went about trying to focus on the mindsets of the people who were going to be enabling the change of the organisation. And we started with something really practical, which was our impediments as a company. So not the stuff that's safe to talk about, like, oh, we're a bit hierarchical and, oh, we, we default to process and all of these, you know, safe things. We actually started surfacing the real impediments like fear and consequences or perceived consequence of making a mistake and perfection in our culture and the blame of senior leaders. But the actual nature of what that blame did in the organisation when everyone's blaming the top for everything all the time and, and the top blaming, you know, the rest of the organisation and what that does. So we surface these real impediments and we had the leaders focus on those. And I think, That was a pretty profound way to start, very risky (laughs) as the first thing that you do in the job, but also just gave the tone of if we're going to change this place, we have to be real about what's going on. And actually those impediments and the conversation around those has helped navigate the whole transformation around Agile because we go back to them all the time and say how are we improving those impediments or removing them or how are we making it better? And I think that was a great place to start.
0: Absolutely. And if I remember, that was an exec conference, like the whole executive team, the top 200 people in the company, together, first time, first taste of Agile, running the day in a different way. Is that how it went down? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, It ended with the fire brigade arriving, and I'll explain how that happened. But I did have a bold ambition, and I knew I had a finite time. So if I was going to change and I was going to be successful, I said to Alex, my boss, who put me into the job, I said to her, if I haven't changed this place in two years, then you should tell me to leave because I haven't done my role. But if I've done it well, then I should be able to move on and feel proud of that in two years. But two years was my time to change the company. And so... Yeah, everything I did had to be bold. And that first day was my mindset on that was we'll focus on the impediments. We'll get the leaders who create or enable these impediments in the room to focus on them and solve them. But we'll do that by throwing them in the method. And as soon as they can experience the method, they will attach themselves to what it can do. Equally, we'll be able to see who are the ones that won't be able to make the shift and that becomes very obvious in an environment like that. We ended the day with employees coming in giving us feedback and voting on the best solutions that the leaders came up to with the impediments in in terms of solving or removing them and I did want a smoke machine and I did get a smoke machine but I set off the fire. (laughs) (laughs) So it ended the way actually I I loved the ending I thought it was awesome (laughs) that the uh, fire brigade arrived but yeah it was certainly a very intense 12 hour day of really rapidly solving those impediments, a number of different sprints. We put constraints over each of the sprint cycles so that they knew that they were operating within something real. And still people talk about that day and they talk about what it did in terms of energising the organisation around the change, but also what I describe as shaking their brains in a beautiful, caring way, but it started to shake them a little bit.
0: It's actually a metaphor, isn't it? You've lit a fire and you needed to come true. and douse the flames because <laughs> <laughs> it was probably, whoa!
1: That is so true. Yeah. And that's a, actually a great point because when you ignite the fire in an organisation, you have to be able to manage that. And fire creates energy and that energy needs to be managed. And if you don't have the tenacity and I guess the fortitude to manage that, then it can extinguish really quickly and you've lost your chance. It's sort of like you say to people there's hope, and we're going to change. And if you can't fulfill the promise, then there's no credibility to you or the transformation.
0: One thing that must have taken courage in many respects for you and the executive team was my sense was they didn't fully know what they were getting into at that point. It was like, there's a method, there's a tool, let's go with Nat and go on this journey. But I imagine, the whole top team were learning as they went on that journey, which would have been pretty confronting, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so was I. Mm. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm not an expert. Mm. So I've gone into this job. The first thing I did was my Scrum Master certification just so I had an idea. But I certainly wasn't an expert. And here I am trying to guide this organisation thinking, is this right? (laughs) Am I doing this right? And it's the same with the leadership team. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about this is, There's no formula and you don't have to have the perfect way and you're not buying a book on agile and and following a script and a blueprint and implementing it has to be right for your company. And I think the incredible thing that Andy and the team did was, even if they didn't understand it, they still enabled me to do what I needed to do and they had confidence in me. And Andy knew that I didn't know it either I wasn't an expert but he trusted that I had a good pulse on the organisation that I knew what people needed and what was going to help enable the change and he allowed me to do that and I think that's a really important learning for me is even if you don't know sometimes you have to just step aside and enable something to happen if it's got an energy and you see that it has the capacity and the capability to move the organisation in a direction then go with that and we ran a number of experiments, and the experiments were all imperfect. So by any virtue of a normal traditional waterfall project, you would say to me, Natalie, they failed. But actually what they proved is even in an imperfect operating model, what we were doing with our changing ways of working was better than what we were doing before. And that's all we needed. Let's just make it better than what it is. As long as
0: we're moving forward. As
1: long as we're moving forward, it has to
0: progress. There must have been resistance. I can only imagine some of the hurdles you hit along the way from people, from organisational momentum, from existing processes, et cetera. What were the, the biggest areas of resistance that you came up against?
1: Yeah, so actually what I found was there were some pretty critical moments through the transformation which gave me hope because it's easy to lose hope as well because you do feel like things aren't progressing. And I think that it can be at times as people are afraid of what's happening. So you're removing in some parts, you know, in excess of five layers out of the organization because agile compresses teams and puts them closer to the customer. And you're putting decision rights closer to where the customer is and you're removing all those traditional power bases within an organisation. The resistance you feel isn't always overt. You can feel it there, but it's passive. So you can't identify where it is sometimes. And I think the most profound for me was in our second organisation design workshop. We were going through these rapid sessions to redesign Telstra in the agile world. It was a fascinating moment where the leaders from each of these different functions actually started criticising the other areas and judging them. And that was actually the most profound moment where I thought okay, so what we do is we look at everybody else's issues and rather than support and enable each other to design, we're trying to defend our patch by going after the others.
0: Classic org design challenges, right? When you're designing an org in a classic method, you've got to protect your patch and point out where everybody else needs to come. (laughs) Yes,
1: and that was really profound because we had to rapidly help those people understand you're co-creating these solutions together. So, if product doesn't have the right resources, then consumer, you won't be able to get your products into market because no one's creating them or innovating them or thinking about that. So, you can't behave like that. That was a massive moment for us. And very rapidly, we solved that and they started working together. But it was a really profound moment where I thought, had we not found a way to bring people together, that would have all kept going in the organisation. Because you're absolutely right. It's a classic org design behaviour. Not a constructive one, but one that happens in traditional organisations. Yeah, so finding a way for leaders to co-create outcomes and create one Telstra was actually a huge driver for us. It doesn't matter where the resources come from. We are one Telstra serving one set of customers and we have to do that together.
0: What other milestones? What were some of the big steps that when you saw them along the way you went, wow, that was a really significant moment, a really pivotal part of the transformation?
1: Yeah, there were a few. So there was one moment with Andy and his team where we were doing leadership boot camps across the company to help educate on not only agile, but what a scaled agile transformation would actually mean and what it would take and what it meant for each of the functions. Because as you know, even in an organisation where part of it's going agile, um, and we would say that's at scale, to actually do it at scale means everybody's interfacing with that agile construct in some way. And that's pretty profound. So we went about educating all the the different leadership teams. And we had Andy and his leadership team on this one day. And to your point earlier, I think there were varying degrees of really understanding what the agile transformation meant and what it was going to do for the organisation. And and I knew that was a critical session. I knew this boot camp would either say, yes, we're going to go, we're fully going and we're doing this scaled transformation, or let's just keep focusing on the cultural elements and we won't go, We'll, we'll delay and bearing in mind there was a lot going on in the company so we're trying to drive this massive strategy so I remember going through the session we had a few hours together and just seeing the way that they connected with the content they could see the experiments the front runner teams that we'd experimented with and the results even imperfect were still better they could see the efficiency that we'd get out of the workforce in a different way they saw the benefit of looking at individuals by capability and working out how to deploy those capabilities to your highest priority work. They could actually see a simplified Telstra, which we couldn't really see before. And that was a profound moment where at the end of that meeting, they all basically unanimously said, let's go and let's go now. So we were going to delay, but let's go now, let's do it larger than we thought and faster than we thought. And that was a pretty profound moment because we hadn't had that clarity or alignment before. The next moment was actually during these organisation design workshops and they weren't traditional in any way. So we were focusing on what are the priorities, what are the missions and that was a great reference for us or a term for us to use in our company because people want to connect to a purpose and when you're in a large organisation it can feel like it's purposeless. Or you can't see how your work helps to contribute to the purpose. And in those sessions, we were actually able to define, here's the strategy, here's the priority, here's the mission that your team's going to deliver, and here's how your capability is really important in driving that mission. And that, for me, was a beautiful moment because people found a connection to a purpose that maybe hadn't been there as clearly before. And that was a very cool, actually unexpected benefit, I think, out of this, was giving people that that connection to a purpose. And then the next moment was actually seeing, and we redesigned our organisation with Lego which sounds silly and trivial, but there was no way I was going to have an org chart in any of our org design sessions. So we focused on each of these Lego people mapped to a capability that we needed in Telstra in order to get the work done. And, seeing leaders in that session who, as we spoke about before, would hold on to their patch and protect their resources fiercely, actually handing those Lego pieces over to other parts of Telstra and swapping and negotiating the resources they needed to build a cross-functional team, that was a very cool moment. I didn't think I'd ever see that. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And they did it in a way that was, you know, we got them to a point where they were voluntarily actually negotiating with one another. That was incredibly cool. The next pivotal moment, was actually seeing the teams launch so it actually felt like the time when you know I've had two children so it felt like that moment where you've just delivered the baby and you can take a breath and that's exactly what this felt like as soon as my first team was launched I thought oh I could just cry it's done and they're on their way and they had beautiful momentum then there was my job actually probably didn't need to be there anymore because those teams launched and I think that was really incredible
0: to see. With any successful change, there has to be a burning ambition or a burning platform, and you talk about purpose and how the missions drive towards purpose. How was it framed up in this case? What was that burning platform or burning ambition that all of this was aligning to and driving for?
1: Our burning platform as an organisation is very clear and it's all been reported in the market. So, obviously, we were facing huge pressure in the competitive landscape. We had pricing pressure. We had the NBN pressure. You know, there was huge challenges facing Telstra and very real bottom line challenges that meant the survival for us as an organisation was, you know, it was actually facing us head on. And whether we could navigate that context and actually thrive as a result was a real question for us and a challenge. So agile was always a ways of working was part of our strategy. We knew we had to change the way we work. However, another challenge was being faced by the agile and ways of working team which was we're very busy with all this other stuff we're doing in the strategy. So we're busy rationalising our products, digitising our platforms for customers and employees, setting up an infrastructure business, driving productivity. You know, we were making significant labour reductions or headcount reductions in the organisation, which is really, really hard and very emotional for the leaders and the company and very draining to keep sustaining in addition to everything else you're trying to do in a rapid period of time so the other burning platform I guess that we were facing was how big is ways of working and do we need to do it because we're so busy with everything else this is just another distraction so for a passionate person like me seeing the opportunity it was just crazy I was saying but can't you see this is going to give you energy this is going to build engagement and commitment and never before have we it's terrible to take people out of the organization and have those tough conversations but for those that stay there's never been a commitment to change the way they work there's been we'll take the headcount out and we'll do the same amount of work with less people that's what most companies do This is us saying, no, we believe it can be better and we're enabling you to help create what it is. So let's do that together and actually change the way this place works and go at all the impediments and the stuff that drives us crazy about working here and let's just change it. So I could see it so clearly and I guess it was challenging that I felt that people couldn't see it as clearly as I could. It could have been a burning platform. I chose for it to become a burning ambition and... Andy saw that in that boot camp session, he saw it and said, I absolutely can see what you're saying. And I said, and also we committed to people that we were going to do this. If you keep delaying it, our people won't believe in us anymore. And we need belief and we need that engagement and that energy from people and the passion in order for us to do what we need to do in the market for our customers. And if we don't have that, then we don't have anything. And... That's what we've seen Agile deliver, even though it's it's still imperfect, mm, right? And mm. it's constantly, it's like the Sydney Harbour Bridge. <laughs> Just when you get to the end, you've got to go back to the beginning. And that's the beautiful part about it I think but the energy it gives and you hear CEOs now talk about that as being actually the differentiator in organisations that the energy within a company can actually make it move in a different way to others and it is a differentiator and I think we were able to create that in this part of Telstra.
0: I love that and I love how you framed that shift towards we're making changes we're becoming simpler but we've we've got a method this time as opposed to we're just going to sort of do it and hope right yes yeah so you must have got some data some learning some experiments that gave you that confidence to scale yes how did that work
1: well we had you know Telstra is a massive organization that's been experimenting with these ways of working for years as you know very well so Agile had been living and breathing for over 10 years at Telstra but we had over 30 different versions of it so the first thing we had to do was create our own what I was describing as our own flavor so no one will copy our flavour. It's kind of like going to Baskin and Robbins and getting a flavour and then some other ice cream shop trying to copy it. It's never quite the same. And we wanted to do that. So it was learning from the current ways that were working. So we could see in our digitization program, there was one version of Agile that was operating there. We could see in our software areas that we had different versions of Agile. We had DevOps operating in IT. We had Agile working in projects all across the organization. We had human-centered design pockets everywhere. So we had all these beautiful live ways that we could see. One thing that became very obvious is all the barriers that they had were all the same. <laughs> And they were things like the decision rights, the resource allocation, the requirement for different cost codes in order to get resources, lack of alignment to priorities... Common impediments, right, that they were all facing. So we took the learnings out of each of those different methods and then created a new formula that we thought would work for Telstra, which is kind of a hybrid of a bit of Kanban and a bit of Scrum. And we said, right, what we're going to do is apply this agile method in the new functional model for Telstra end to end as much as we can. So we had product, consumer, and IT basically working together in these cross-functional teams aligned to a priority. And that's how we started testing a different model. It wasn't really large scale, so they were small teams and we tried to protect them and pick the right leaders to run those. But that's what gave us some of the confidence. So we knew that our method was good. We knew it was imperfect, but we knew it was good operating within the constraints. It was still better what we could see was we had higher engagement of our people and we could produce outcomes faster. So we they were two of our four that we wanted to hit. So we knew it was good enough to start experimenting with at scale. So they're kind of the things that you start doing. And I think As an HR person, you're trained to look at all of the best in class, best practices, what are other companies doing, what are the policies, what are the processes, what are the frameworks I can copy. There's no such thing in this. You have to experiment with your organisation. Every company has a different DNA. You've got to know that place, know its DNA, know how you can manoeuvre it and what model's going to work Mm. within your organisation. And that's what we did.
0: Were there any other tools, particularly tools or mindsets of Agile or, or other methodologies that you found were quite magical, like things that you look back and go, wow, that one was a cracker. We used this tool method mindset approach.
1: Yeah. So I actually took inspiration from Atlassian a lot and because I found them really disruptive. So I loved the clarity and simplicity of their tools. I thought that inspired me a little bit. So I went to non-traditional, I guess for Telstra to look yeah. at, companies to work out How are they thinking and how are they disrupting their organisations? There was another tool that I used which really helped us actually simplify and map how we were going to move resources into chapters logistically to move thousands of people into a new construct take them out of a traditional hierarchy, map them to a chapter and then put them onto a mission is actually a very complicated thing at scale. So we used a great mapper tool that enabled us to do that because we have, at the time, we now have Workday, but we had very difficult legacy systems that meant it was hard to even see an individual in our company, let alone what they did. So this mapper tool was very, very cool. Actually, what I discovered going through it was... You can use JIRA, you can use JIRA Align, you can use People Mapper, you can use all these different, we use Microsoft Teams. I wish there was one thing that I could use that would help me do the whole thing. If that we could make that simpler, that would be a terrific thing because actually to all of the technical components of changing an organisation to Agile means that you're you know, navigating and having to operate within multiple systems and tools at any particular time. So there wasn't anything that I thought was particularly magic that solved it. I think that was actually the challenge was we kept trying to look for something that was going to make it easier. And and that wasn't always there.
0: There you go. Collaboration engineers, uh, collaboration companies, there's your market opportunity. Yeah, Yeah. I would
1: see. Facilitating
0: agile at scale. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And
1: all of the elements. So the organisation design elements, how you do all of that mapping, mapping interactions. I mean, we had a tool to do that. That was fascinating because it shows the dysfunction in your org design. How many interactions happen within a team, a team within a function, a function within an um, organisation was significant and leaders loved looking at that mm. because it showed them where the opportunities were. But also agile maturity, so how you pulse the engagement, how you do that really regularly, how teams can share knowledge and information really rapidly. Again, there were a number of different tools, but there wasn't anything that collectively gave us the ability to do that. And then a more simple way to capture the agile work. So we have Jira and Jira Align and you can use Trello and all these different tools. How you do a retrospective, how you do a stand up, you're constantly using all of these different applications but one way where everyone can share and all that knowledge is retained in the company would be a very cool application to
0: create. A question more for the purists, can you outline, do the 60 second version of the actual agile structures you use, squads, teams, missions, chapters, mm-hmm. guilds?
1: Yes, because our language is a bit different. As you know, people talk about tribes and squads all the time. We we had a very deliberate conversation about this very early on because we had that language living in our organisation and it never sat terribly comfortably with me for cultural reasons.
0: Congratulations for that. Very important.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I didn't always feel comfortable and we actually went and consulted with some Indigenous Australian elders and we had actually some confirmation come back to say yes we find that language offensive so we decided right we're not we won't use that at all across Telstra and actually I think in New Zealand when Spark went about their change they had a similar challenge so I think there is we've, an op- we've done
0: the same here absolutely the local runjury we've consulted and it's, it's just not respectful yes yeah
1: yeah. so it's better for us to talk about groups and teams easy and it's language we already use I think that's one thing I'll just say around agile is it seems scary and like it's a whole new language to learn and that can turn people off or make them afraid of it I think you can turn any any of the language into something really easy and practical that people can understand so the more you can make it current language, I think the better it is for people to understand and adapt to it. That's just my learning out of going through this. So yes, we have in Telstra now, we don't have business units, we have functions. So product and technology is a function, not a business unit. And within that function, we have a group and a group is made up of 150 people. So it might be 10 to 15 teams, depending on the size of it. The construct that we've gone with is cross-functional teams. So primarily, we have cross-functional teams that end-to-end deliver on what we call a mission. And those missions map to epics, essentially. That's how we map the work. So we've changed the operating model around Telstra. So we have quarterly business review, or a QBR now, where the CEO and the leadership team come and give the priorities to us as an organisation every quarter. And each of the groups then come together along with the chapters to work out what missions are going to be delivered and the resources to deliver on those. So a critical part of what we did at Telstra, along with groups and teams, which essentially are our verticals and run the work, we flipped our organisation on its side and we have chapters and that was really important for us because it gave us the opportunity to more critically define the capabilities that we going to differentiate Telstra, but also that we needed to deliver work. And it meant that no one holds all of the power in inverted commas. So we now have this beautiful collaboration between the group owners and the chapter leads to work out. What's the work, and who are the resources and the money to get that work done? And that means you've got this codependent nature of how work gets done, and it enables greater collaboration for the organisation. So that's essentially our
0: construct. One of the things we notice with our clients in in Agile for particularly in software development is that at times the strategic layer can be challenging. We can set off on a particular pathway down, down a particular set of epics, but then to be able to lift that up to what is the longer term roadmap and strategy and ensuring we're on the right pathway, it sometimes can be challenging over time as this scales. You talked about that the quarter of the QBR. Yeah. Were you seeing any challenges with getting to the a longer-term strategy in making sure that's aligned as opposed to that quarterly rhythm?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And one thing that we actually identified pretty quickly with putting QBR in, all of a sudden people get very short-term focused and you've got to be able to communicate, actually, we're going about a longer-term ambition here and making sure that clarity really is there for teams. So there's a couple of things, and we're still learning as an organisation, so this is all pretty new to us as well. But we've always had a pretty good way of of defining the strategy and making sure that that's very clear for us. So the starting point for us is ensuring that the board along with the CEO and the leadership team really have defined what that longer term roadmap is. And that's very clear for us at Telstra. T22, I mean, people can debate whether that's a strategy or a plan, but still gave us a focus, right, into the the long term. And so in some ways that then forges, okay, this is the roadmap, this is the direction that we're going in. The other thing we did from, um, I guess, a long-term perspective was we redefined our purpose through this process, actually, and said, so what is our purpose for being and why do we exist? And I think your long-term strategy and your purpose are really, really important to start with so that it can go you through the work. Then what we do as a result of that is we break the work into then the priorities. So our strategy team helped to do that and then that becomes the quarterly prioritisation process. I think what's really important is normally that would be a top-down exercise in a traditional organisation. The beautiful thing about QBR and having your agile teams is that you've got this gorgeous feedback loop that just keeps coming back. So it becomes, to your earlier point around fear, the transparency you get is so great because you can quickly see, well, here's our long-term strategy, here's the work and how we're breaking it down, but here's what the teams are delivering. So does that align? Doesn't it? Where have we got communication breakdowns? Why isn't this working the way it should? And I think that's what's been wonderful for us is we've been able to identify in a more visible way where have we got some of the gaps but we also give the teams an opportunity to come back to us and say we don't think that priority is right or we think it needs to a different variation of it needs to happen based on the work we're doing so I think that's all an incredible ecosystem and one again as I said that we're you know we're still learning from.
0: We have a lot of clients in this space and we we in our advisory work and implementation work, we often end up in a more hybrid model, um, particularly depending on the, the size and shape of that burning platform, because mm. it is such a huge transformation. And there's a, I'd sort of almost call it staged agile rather than yeah. scaled. In that, you find the right parts, you the ones that naturally make sense and align. Obviously, software engineering, and other areas, and then over time build it, build it up to a full implementation, but do it in a way that's a bit more staged, so to speak, Mm. where there isn't a burning platform that you need to do this for allows that change process to be a little bit less intense, a little bit more orderly, which has been working really well as well. But it's interesting to say, how do you make that decision as an organisation? How do you know the size of your change imperative and, and what pace to go at? Any thoughts?
1: Great question, and one that I debated regularly through this transformation, because you're right, and that's actually how we started. So, we were experimenting in pockets and we were enabling agile and at least bringing into one version for Telstra and trying to do it in a more paced way through the company. And my answer to that, I guess, would be it depends on your organisation and what it needs. And also what you're trying to get out of the transformation. So for me, I really knew that Telstra needed something that was bold and disruptive, that was going to jolt the organisation to pay attention and change. I knew I needed that. So I had to be dramatic. Yeah, yeah. It had to be. Because otherwise, this softly, softly, as soon as I... Stephen Elop explained this to me, actually, at the time I interviewed with him for this job. He said, you will have 10 plates spinning and as soon as you look to the left to get another plate, one will drop and that is exactly what will happen with Agile. And he was right. You think it's working and then you look away and they drop it and they go back to old habits when you're doing it in a slower way. And that was the risk at Telstra. I'm not talking about every organisation, that was our company. So it became more and more obvious to me that I had to do something dramatic. Because there was so much change, it meant that everybody had to enable the change with me and be part of helping to solve it and create the new way and that was really really important and i knew i had their attention span for a very short period of time so i had to grab it but that might not be the case in in other organizations what i will say is my observation from meeting with many companies now who want to talk about our story and and seeing how they're doing it is mostly everybody gets to the same sort of point where We've done enough of it. yeah, we've experimented in technology and projects and in the usual areas, and maybe marketing's experimenting with it, but we actually can't connect the dots end to end. And then people start thinking about customer journeys. Oh, well, let's do customer journeys. I see that quite regularly, and we also had the same thought at Telstra, and that is a great ambition, and I think that's where Telstra will go to. However, it's not how your company's organised. It's not how your systems work. It's not how your processes work. So going to customer journeys might seem like a beautiful evolution from experimenting, but that's actually a really hard step to make in the first go. So my advice would always be you don't have to have a burning platform. You can just have a burning ambition that you want your organisation to be more productive, to focus on customer, to speed up and to be more energised and engaged and able to do stuff. And if that's your ambition, then You can call the method whatever you want, actually. It's just what are all the levers that you've got in a really bold and supportive way to make that happen? And that's how I would think about it. So there's not a perfect way. It's just, I guess, if you have to think about one thing, it would be how much time have you got? And if you've got a time goal or a time horizon or ambition, then I would say that might vary how you make the decision.
0: How did you create connective tissue with the exec team with the board because we're talking about issues of risk culture all the things that a board's passionate about they must have been very interested in what you were doing how did you create that connective tissue
1: yeah absolutely and I think it's a huge thing you know you're really at every part that's why the the job was really challenging because at every single day and every single stage I was worried am I going to break this organization am I breaking something in the wrong way. (laughs) And, and that was a lot of pressure and a huge cause of concern for all of us because it's uncharted territory. However, again, bringing the board in and having them see the teams and I didn't stage anything. The board came in and they saw the teams live. It wasn't, let's pull out the red carpet. Nothing about what we did was like that. We got them in and they could see it. And actually our chairman, John Mullen loved it because he had visibility of all the impediments. And he could see quite clearly where the blocks were and he could see the results these teams were driving as a result of working this way. So for him, he said, how do we do this? How do we do this faster and how do we get on with this? So he was very supportive of that. And it was the same with Andy. So the more he went and visited the teams, the more he could see pockets of innovation that he hadn't seen before. And he said, wow, they can actually do business as usual work, but you can also see these pockets of creativity coming through that he hadn't really seen before. And I'm sure was there, but just wasn't visible. So I think that bringing them to the work... And for them to see the work is really, really important. It's not PowerPoint packs explaining the ratio. I did very little of that. It was, well, go to the teams and go and see and see what you think. The other thing we did was brought people along so we ran these showcases really regularly with imperfect agile design imperfect thinking about how we were going to change stuff and we showcased it to the entire organisation let people come in and give us feedback so at no point was this happening in a dark room it was co-created with the organisation at every step to exactly your point to mitigate all those risks to make sure we were thinking about everything and to ensure that we were as best we could co-creating and mitigating all of that, the governance and risk issues that we potentially were going to face as an organisation. And the more comfortable leaders got with that, the more they just empowered the design teams to get on and do that stuff, as opposed to them being involved. And I think that confidence just builds as you start to experiment. But the thing that I would say is, in leading a transformation, you like this, you have to embody the mindset you're asking the organization to embrace. So I was asking them to be open and transparent and to push decision rights into the organization and empower people and ask, how can I help and get out of the way, provide some clarity, but get out of the way and let them do stuff. And that's exactly how we navigated the transformation was that nothing was ever happening in secret. People were absolutely able to see the design and how we were going about it every step of the way.
0: As you move on to the next phase of your incredible career, I'm sure you've retro done a retro on yes. this phase um, many times in your head, if not many times in, in reality as well. You've learned so much. Is there one or two things maybe that you go, we would have done differently. Big steps we made that we would have done differently. Of course, there's many things you probably could have improved. That's the nature of what you've done. Mm. But any one or two key insights for those who are gonna follow in your footsteps?
1: Yes, these won't be profound because of everything we've spoken about. I think there's other insights in there, but I underestimated the amount of time that I needed to spend on technology. And the reason I call that out is because in some ways, by changing the way people work and asking them to use different systems to capture work, we've made things more complicated in the short term. So they're navigating old systems, current systems, and future state systems in order to enable agile. Now we're supposed to make those teams more productive and I think in some ways we've made it more complicated. And I underestimated that. The importance of putting a blueprint in place and making it easy for people to navigate that. Great insight. So on the ground, it's actually painful to operate in this agile way because of everything we're asking. And the second thing, which is what I was conscious of, but. Be very mindful of when you put in a new agile cadence that you really retire the old one because then all you do is push more meetings (laughs) and more stuff onto people than they had anticipated. And it's kind of connected to the technology element. So, my learnings are more about the experience people have on the ground. So, make sure they're enabled and you simplify all the operating systems that they're going to work in. Make sure that you're not asking more of them by virtue of the stuff you're about to do. Make it really public the stuff you're getting rid of. We didn't do a good enough job of that and saying we're not doing these old meetings anymore. And these old things are replaced by this, you know, we didn't do that. I think the other thing is make sure the non-agile teams really embed what we describe as the common practices, but make the common stitching really work in the organisation so that everybody's familiar with the language of doing a stand-up and doing a retrospective and having a team charter. They're things that we talked about at Telstra, but we, because we're so focused on agile, we could have done, I think, a better job of really enabling all parts of the company to embrace the new enterprise agility culture that we are enabling. So they would kind of be the things that I would call out.
0: So now you, in this moment where it's been built, it's starting to, and it's about Mm. to take off into the whole, what Telstra looks like in the future. Mm. If you look out two years, and this is all embedded, it's moved forward, what do you see? What is the fundamentally different output and outcome that Telstra is as a company, I guess, than it was when you started, say, two years ago?
1: Yeah, well I think my whole ambition for this, just to be really simple, was I was getting so frustrated that the competition would come out and we would be reacting and and sometimes market leading, but in a traditional kind of telco, it can fit and the incumbent, you feel like you're always sort of, you know, reacting or responding to the market. And there is a fantastic innovative spirit within Telstra and wonderful people with great capability in there. And so our ambition was always that we would be in the market really leading and innovating and if you think about what we're doing with 5G that's what we're doing and to be able to see that across our entire company would be really cool and I think we're seeing that more and more but in the future that customers would be saying oh I'm only going to go to Telstra for my products because I can see that they're innovating and they care and they actually are thinking ahead about what I need particularly in small business I think that would be really really cool to see so we would there'd be a different narrative that our customers would have for us as a company. The other thing that I would love to hear and see is that fantastic AI cybersecurity capability would want to come to Telstra because they see it as the cool place to be. So there's these global players, even in software engineering and all of these terrific capabilities that we need in our organisation would actually be focusing on Telstra and targeting them as the employer that they want to be part of. That would be really cool.
0: Thank you so much for your time. What you've done here, I think, is extraordinary. It's almost the best expression of you. Your disruption, your love for people, your love for humans, all comes together in this incredible role. So you've nailed it. And I just want to wish you the best for the the next stage of your career.
1: Thanks, John. It's been so brilliant to have time with you. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for this episode of The Corporate Innovator. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're loving the episodes, be sure to tell your friends or leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you've got any thoughts, questions or guest ideas for the show, you can email me at hi at ie.com.au. See you next time.